Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. All right, here we are. All right. We should call this episode something like when the cat's away, the mice play. That's what I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with that. So Robbie is uh, – Robbie's personal life launched a full frontal attack on him. Oh, it's, it's his own fault, I guess. That he's in the process of moving, closing on a house, trying to sell a house, and taking a family vacation to another country, like all in a 20-day – time span that I started off thinking we should feel sorry for him but uh it, it those are all personal choices he, yeah he no, that that's all. not self-inflicted yeah yeah exactly so so we have for the first time which is kind of odd makes me feel like let's blame it on Robbie but our uh podcast producer whose name is also Cody but the day that we brought him on um I insistently gave him the nickname of Alaska. So um probably we're like we're probably like the only people that call you that, right? Like that's not a nickname from your real yeah, life. No, you're the only people that call me Alaska. That's just your blood origins nickname that I gave to you within like nine seconds of meeting you. Probably thought I was an asshole for maybe still do for that matter, but uh, we keep you can't have you can't, in an organization as small as ours. You got problems if you got two people with the same name. So, so Alaska Cody is here uh, to fill in for Robbie. Probably take his spot from him, honestly. But we call you Alaska. G give us a little background, man. You uh, you're not a, a longtime uh, resident of Alaska, but do live there now. Hence the nickname. Yeah. So I actually moved there about three weeks after. Um, after starting with the podcast 
you know, I uh, so I pitched Robbie. He was looking for a podcast producer, and um, I pitched him on it. Just you know, having done um, a lot of like you know advertisements and stuff in the past, and it's it's worked out good. You know, we've uh, I've really enjoyed being a part of the podcast. Um, originally from New Jersey. And, uh, so yeah, moved out here to Alaska to, you know, pursue all the, these things that we love and can't complain, you know, it's been a, it's been a, as you guys see in the group chat, it's been a, it's been a fun year and a half out here in, uh, in uh, big Lake. And like, uh, it like, it, is it a permanent thing? Is, is the move to Alaska in your mind, a permanent thing or something you're trying out or you haven't decided yet or what? Yeah, no, I bought a house and everything. Um, uh, it's uh, it's permanent. The only thing in question is whether I eventually end up on Kodiak or something, you know. Right. Um. So, uh, but uh, yeah, it's hard to hard to beat, you know. I mean, I I joke with people back east um, that you know um, I could have a once in a lifetime fishing adventure, like fifteen minutes from my house on a random Wednesday, you know, and it happens all the time, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I had a 30 fish day the other day, um, uh, and not a damn one of them was under, under 20 inches. And it was just a, just a random like Wednesday afternoon. When you're, when you're bragging about those, are those, uh, is that, uh, spinning reels or are you fly fishing or combination of both? Combination of both, whatever I feel like throwing that day. I'm more of a spinning guy. Um, just cause you know, I've always thought fly fishing was pretentious. Um, but, uh, it, it, uh, people up here it a hundred percent is it's, it's, it's like you're, it's like you're cocky enough that you're thinking, let's just make this harder. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I use both. It's, I mean, look, a lot of people up here, even if they're using a fly rod are still throwing beads, you know? Right. So, I mean, to me, that's like. Like, can you really look down your nose at some guy throwing, you know, throwing lures and stuff if all you're doing is bouncing beads off the bottom? You know, right. like, what's the real difference at the end of the day? I hope between that, I, and- I try to, and I really, I mean, minus some farm pond stuff, I've done nothing but fly fish for the last six or seven years. Um, but I, I don't think, and maybe, maybe everyone that fly fishes doesn't think they're being pretentious. I don't care. Like, I, I'm not like, judgmental at all and if we go to a farm pond or a lake um yeah i don't i don't don't really know why i'm just kind of i think i'm the classic idiot that a river runs through it made me want to try that and now i just want to be good at it you know but right I, i don't have any idea why i live in i mean maybe not to the same level as you but i live in kind of a and i'm i'm an hour and a half or way less drive to dozens of miles of gold medal waters and, and love doing it. And, and when I come up to Alaska to fish, I'm, I'm bringing both. That's what I'm going to do. And I, Cause I want to, I want to say I fly fished up there, but at the same time. I mean, I got spots for you, man. I mean, I got maps on my Onyx of, uh, of all the good spots that I keep and time of year and all that stuff of what I was throwing, you know, what I was seeing, et cetera. And I mean, I fish a lot of like single hook artificial only water, 
which like produces just, I mean, like the smallest fish you're going to pull out of there. It's like, I shit you not, like an 18, 20 inch trout, you know, um, which I had never even seen before moving up here, you know. And I had like a good 25 plus incher on the line recently that broke me off, you know. Yeah, 20, a 25 inch trout in, in, in good water is a hard, hard fish to land. On really on on any kind of gear, but definitely on on a single on a single hook and and uh, on a fly rod. But yeah, I, I love it. I don't think I'm a pretentious fly fisherman. I got no problem throwing beads wherever I'm at, and I've been lectured about it multiple times. You know, I mean, I'm I'm out there to catch fish. I just chose to do it in a certain way. So yeah, no. And to be clear, I don't have a problem with throwing throwing beads, right? But like, what gets me is guys are like it's a purer form of fishing. And it's like, dude, you're fucking, you're throwing beads. Okay. Right. Like, de- like yeah. take a chill pill, like sit, take, take two fish oil pills and call me in the morning. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. That I, I don't like that either. I don't like the, uh, the pretentious side of, of any of it. I mean, you can get into some serious bass fishermen that are just as pretentious with my redneck spinning reel rigs that I'm out there throwing, but. Oh yeah, or like you know, they'll say like you know, if you're not using top water poppers, then you're not yeah. then you're not bass fishing. Yeah, you know? shut, it's like okay, shut up. I'm I'm doing it my way, <laughs> and I'm catching. No, let's hit some admin stuff real quick. Uh, we get some great. We didn't have any. Uh, oh, we didn't release a roundup this week. I was just gonna say we had a massive drop off in our text messages, and it was because we didn't roll around a roundup last week. Is exactly. Yeah, right. And now we know. So now, now we're back. We got a roundup here. We're going to hit a couple of topics. Um, you can text us at 620-860-4804 or send us an email to info at bloodorigins.com. Um, give us your comments on the topics we hit or, um, you know, tell us how much better you like the roundup without Robbie. It would probably be a phenomenal uh, text or comment to receive. We'd appreciate that. We still we still have people sending us in this crazy uh, agave from uh, uh, Peach Street Distilleries in Palisade, Colorado that I love to drink. People are still sending them messages, and we haven't heard anything. Um, maybe their customer service. Maybe we're just annoying them. Whatever's going on, we don't really care. Just try some of their agave extra. It's incredible. Um, no 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 paid endorsement there because we can't get a hold of them to talk to them about it. Um, other than that, uh, what do you got, man? Pick the, I, I told you to bring the topics this, or asked you, told you like I'm the boss. I asked you to bring some topics this week. What do you got? All right. Well, there's a couple of them, uh, especially over the last couple weeks, um, since we didn't release a roundup last week. So I guess we can start with the good news. Um, if anybody's been tracking the Recovering America's Wildlife Act, that just passed the house. You know, good good idea to start. You know, maybe pushing your senators and stuff um, at the at the federal level to um, pass that. You know, that one's going to provide a billion, one and a half billion dollars in annual conservation funding. You know, that's HR two seven seven three. Where's that uh, for anybody? Do you know where that money's coming from? I'm 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 a giant fan of conservation dollars. I'm still conservative enough that I want to know where the money's coming from. Yeah, um, so that that money's going to go to state fish and wildlife agencies. I'm not sure where that's coming from. I think it comes from the 
from the general fund um, of the federal budget. So, you know, I, I don't think it's, you know, reallocating money from from existing Pittman Robertson dollars. I think it's I think this is all new money too. Or creating Yeah, okay. Excellent. Yeah, one point four billion for conservation, something we can all uh we can all stand behind. Right. But some of the some of the um basic stats on that, um so it uh it uh will set aside one point four billion annually um for non-regulatory conservation projects. Um, and that's every state, territory, tribal lands, you know, and waters, um, et cetera. Um, uh, 1.3 billion of that goes to state fish and wildlife uh, agencies. Um, and then the other 100 million or so goes to tribal fish and wildlife managers. Uh, so, you know, there's a carve out for for the tribes and stuff, which I know is important in a lot of those ultra rural areas, which, you know, tend to be like your once in a lifetime kind of fishing and hunting destinations. Um, and uh, you can look more up more about that on the Ravel website. Yeah, good stuff. We'll, we'll include that link in the in the uh, newsletter going out. By the way, let's talk about that real quick, because I'm terrible at the admin stuff. We do have a newsletter. Um, an email newsletter that goes out uh, bi-weekly right now. We're still in the discussions on the best way to do that. Um, but you can just go, to, if you're a supporter, um, you're automatically enrolled to get the newsletter on our supporters program. Um, or you can just go to the website and dump your email address. There's a pop-up that pops up when you go to a new page and put your email address in there. We don't, all the proper privacy stuff. We don't sell it. Nobody else gets your email um, we're just trying to give you another way to stay up to date on topics and things that we have going on at Blood Origins. What else you got? What's the other one? You sent another link. Well, uh, there's two. There's one I wanted to talk about that's happening in Jersey right now. Um, so New, New Jersey is my home state, by the way. So in New Jersey, they're actually trying right now to pass something that I, that's not getting a lot of play from a lot of the national hunting organizations. Um, which has been um, distressing, right? But I think it's got a lot of um, legs to get expanded into other states if and when it passes in New Jersey. So they're they're trying to make adjustments to the kind of hunting permissions statutes right now where they will um, require property owners to to request permission from all adjacent landowners um, before allowing anyone, even someone else, to hunt on their property. Which, yeah, I mean, I saw how big your eyes wow. just got, and that's, that's why I'm so shocked that, like, and it's got legs, too. Um, and that's why I'm so shocked that, like, a lot of organizations aren't talking about it right now, because I've been trying to, you know, raise the alarm about that, because that's just egregious, you know? So They're also reducing, as part of that bill, the bow, the bow hunting perimeter from, or oh, I'm sorry, not reducing it, but increasing it. So a couple of years back, we had a big fight in New Jersey to reduce the bow hunting um, safety perimeter around occupied dwellings from 450 feet, which is way too far, to um, to 150 feet, which is a little bit more manageable, especially in a small state like New Jersey, where like tracts of huntable land are a lot, sh a lot smaller in circumference. So you're saying that. They're trying to make it 
So if I that if I wanted to let you hunt on my ground, I would have to get my neighbor's permission for that as well. Yep. Yeah, like every every adjoining um property owner, you would have to get permission to hunt on your property. What the hell is wrong with people? And it's not just it's not just if you were like say a farmer and like trying to let me hunt there, right? If you as a farmer were like, these deer are demolishing my deer crop, you know, you would have to go get permission from all adjoining landowners before you could hunt your own property. And you think it has legs? That's absolutely ridiculous. Oh, it's got, yeah, it's got legs. I mean, we're talking about a state. I mean, I was I was deeply involved in leading the lawsuit for like, and that would end up being three three lawsuits, I think it was. Um, over like four years suing the governor over the bear hunt, you know, and this is a state where like after that, you know, every year we tell the governor that the increase in bear incidents, which has been in, in, increased every year he's been in office, has been directly because he's not, um, he he's banned the bear hunt in a state where like it's it's the number one state for bears in the country. Um, number one state for people from a population density standpoint on both of those species. And where, you know, there's a there's a direct correlation between um, years we're allowed to hunt bears and like where the incidences occur. And like now we're seeing an unprecedented amount of actual bear attacks and stuff, you know. So like I think there's been six dogs so far that have been killed in Jersey by bears in the last year since January. And at least two people have been attacked. And three people in the last year and a half, you know, um, so it's all coming to a head. But like, this is the most anti-hunting like governor in this in the state, and he's or in the country. He's also the most powerful in the country, so um, he's got a lot of room to to push this stuff through. But yeah, it's got legs. From I mean, it's moving through assembly committee right now, um, but it's definitely not something that we've heard is like going to be like killed off by leadership and. Uh, in the Senate or the Assembly, that should be that that should be even. I mean, every hunting organization should be speaking up against that. But it, that, it's way bigger than that. I mean, that that's a property rights. That's not a it's not a right to hunt. That's a who do you think you are telling me that I can't go and do a legal activity on my own land? I mean, that's a right. Those are the kind of things that uh, just blows my mind. That that. Uh, people aren't up in arms about um and that you know that that's a uh yeah they they disguise that to look like they're not taking hunting access away they're just putting a new layer of complexity on top of being able to hunt to make it that much harder a true true uh death by a thousand cuts kind of attack on hunting there oh yeah i mean um but uh, it's just like it's I don't know it's it's so egregious even by New Jersey standards and we see we play whack a mole with a lot of like ridiculous bills you know um, like I was very involved with um, uh, New Jersey politics for a long time um, and you know everything from you know a lot of the stuff that we see around the country in some of the deeper blue states which is you know like hunting contest bans and and things like that. Um, but like even even above that, like you said, this is just 
like telling telling a property owner, you know, who pays the highest property tax, like if you, and if we're going to get into, you know, like I pay for this property, right? Like you're paying thousands of dollars a year for the privilege of owning property in the state of New Jersey, right? Yeah, um, outside of the mortgage payment, the, the, just oh, yeah. in the state, yeah. Yeah, so you're, in, a, in certain instances, you're paying more in property taxes than you are on your mortgage, you know? Um, like it's, I mean, so for instance, my house here in Alaska is uh, 400, 400 bucks a year in property taxes-ish. Um, I'm on an acre of land. I have a nice house. I have a beautiful mountain view, right? Um, the the house is probably worth about a quarter of a million bucks, right? Um, this same house, even at the same price, right? In New Jersey, I'd be paying probably like two to three thousand dollars per quarter, right? And property taxes, you know, right? Which is about which is about how much my my mortgage payment is, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you think about it. So like, it's, it's like, it's just bananas to me that, um, that they think that, you know, that it's okay to do, you know, and it's, you know, my, my street gets plowed here. My, you know, if I call the cops, they come, if my house catches on fire, the fire department shows up. Um, like it's not, it's not like there's any change in services or anything like that to, to warrant that. And then on top of that, if you add the add the um the restriction that like legal activities again you're not going to let me do on my own property without asking my neighbor yeah i don't even have who i'm not easily with i don't even there's not even that's a that's a process where there's not even a fair judicial process to be able to do it your neighbor could just not like hunting and all of a sudden you can't hunt on your ground Oh, and that's exactly it, right? Well, that's what they're, that's what, you know, the sponsors of the bill are hoping is going to happen, right? right? They're hoping that it's going to cut down hunting participation, um, which is, which is funny because at the same time, um, you know, the state and the state's Fish and Wildlife Agency are always looking for new ways to raise revenue from hunting through, you know, things like R3 and stuff like that, right? Um, But how is it, how does it, jive with the departmental goals and the and the division's goals of trying to recruit new hunters when all you're doing is like adding three more people they need to ask in order to hunt on any property in the state you know and even democrats in the state acknowledge that there is a deer problem in new jersey and that we need to hunt them more right but at the same time you know um this, there's just a blatant attack on on hunting participation by just killing you with paperwork, you know. All right, listen. So let 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 let's combine these two topics real quick, because the Restoring America's Wildlife Act, the first topic we talked about, one point four billion for conservation, sounds like a. I mean, who's against that, right? As long as as long as there's not a gigantic federal tax increase to pay for it, but. Do you ever look at those federal initiatives? Right now, one of the main political strongholds that we have as hunters is our dollars through license purchases and Pittman-Robertson are funding all of this. Mm -hmm. Do you ever look at this? Like I could have a tinfoil hat on right now. Okay. And, and, and I'll, I'll, 
send send comments if you think I'm completely off my rocker. Because I, I want that $1.4 billion to go out for conservation. I do. But do you ever look at federal funding to the states for conservation as a way to usurp the vital nature of the hunter's contributions to conservation? Does that question make sense? No, uh, that, that question. So you, you've very vaguely alluded to this before, and I'm glad that we got to this because I cheer every time you do. Um, you know, cause I get to listen to these first because I'm the one producing them. So let's game that out. Right. Like, and it's, it's a reason why I'm resistant to not just federal funding a lot of times, but like non hunting and fishing related conservation funding in general. So like a part of me, the very defiant part of me that hates paying, paying fees and taxes and stuff like that will always say, well, you know, especially in instances where like there's a conflict of of user type, right? Like if a hiker is hiking by me while I'm hunting, right? Well, I'm the one paying for this land, not you. So like you need to make give me a berth, not me, you know, you know what I mean? Like that's where my brain goes first. Yeah, right? yeah, mine, and, and a lot mine of does too. I'll I'll admit openly that I'm not always happy with like I think that, but I don't know if I should be thinking that, right? Like, a hundred percent. Yeah. So that's where I'm at a lot of the times initially, but then when I think about it in my head, I say, okay, do I really want the REI crowd as much as I, as much as let's think about it. If you added the same rate that um, Pittman Robertson is right, an eleven percent tax on like REI's products, right? By REI, to be be fair, by REI, you mean what would be traditionally described as non-consumptive outdoor activities. Right, but like on the on the gear and stuff like that, even right, right? like so, like call it a fifty dollar, you know, um, and they already do a little bit of this with like state park passes for parking and stuff like that, Um, but like a fifty dollar like state hiking pass, right, license that you need to bring with you, right that goes directly towards like the same conservation and then an 11% tax on all their hiking gear. Right. You'd raise a shitload of money for conservation because you're talking about just like guns. You know what I mean? These hiking backpacks are like $400 a pop. Um, and you know, same thing with your, you know, 20 degree sleeping bags and your, you know, bug nets and your hammocks and everything else. Right. So it would be a boon for conservation, at least from a funding standpoint. It, but at the same time, Right. Do I really want a bunch of bunch of people that are like, you know, like not to disparage any particular group. Right. But like regular REI customers, um, not best pro shop customers. Like, do I do I want them with the same argument of like, we're the ones that fund conservation? I don't want hunting on this ground. You know, like it's a big talking point in their favor in that in that scenario, I think. It's kind of an internal debate that I have with myself because when when I feel that way or when I feel like you know that that one of our one of our vestiges or one of our claims or one of our claims to right um, is is that we fund it the hunters and the fishermen and the shooters fund it um, but it's also kind of childish like we we should we should get more money and. And find that way. I, I I don't know, but 
that's uh, we did. I know that there's going to be all across the board different responses to BHA backcountry hunters and anglers, um, and which is releasing this week, by the way. The yeah, and we it, it's coming up. It'll be coming up right after the, It'll be coming up right after this releases. Right, the interview with Lantani. Yep. Um, yep. And I'm gonna tell you this. I think Land's an intelligent guy um, that loves the outdoors. I think the difference, and 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 has done a lot of good for the outdoors. Okay, I, all of that is is true. That's all fact. Um, but he he uh, he doesn't have that same twinge that you and I are talking about, right? Like he disagrees and thinks we should just get the dollars for conservation, no matter. And you know, to be fair, like he's probably right. Like in that in that single argument, he's probably we probably should. That's what we should do. Um, but he doesn't have that twinge. He doesn't have the, uh, you know, sh- shit. Maybe just conservative conspiracy theories that bounce into my head sometimes when I see something, and and I don't have any, I don't have any facts for it. I don't, I don't know that I'm right, but those are the things that pop into my head. Um, and I, I pushed Land a little bit on some of the things when we interviewed him. Um, you know, where's that money coming from? What's that going to mean long term for everyone? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I think it's worth discussing and worth being aware of. At the same time, I'm not standing here saying don't give us the the RAWA or the RAWA money. I think that's good money. I think it should go out. It should be dispersed. But uh, folks need to folks that care about the political side of it need to keep an eye on those and what what the uh, kind of secondary and tertiary effects of those things happening are um and just just be vigilant with it i guess that's my point right i agree what's your uh you sent a main article here too yeah so there's a right to food amendment um coming through maine right now um and it uh um there there there's actually an ensuing lawsuit um challenging the Sunday hunting ban in the state that's a part of that whole right to food uh, amendment thing. And I know that we covered that in an episode four-ish weeks ago with, uh, I believe, with Aaron. Yeah, with Aaron. Um, yeah, she covered it on, on a roundup. Um, but uh, um, I know we also covered it um, with uh, with another person. We have two um, episodes. We I did, uh, I did a pro- Sunday hunting ban and an anti Sunday hunting ban interview very intentionally that uh, maybe I, th- I think maybe in the next couple of weeks we'll release maybe even the two on the same day um, two very intelligent good people um, who both are avid outdoorsmen um, one who is in favor of maintaining the Sunday hunting ban and the other one who is actually leading the, he's leading this lawsuit, um, that you're talking about here saying that the, the right to food, I think it's an amendment in their constitution, right? Like I, I, I think they went that it's constitutional. Um, I could be wrong if I am text me. Um, but yeah, that's a, they got a heated debate going up there. Um, trying to and right now the lawsuit is so they they've they've lost in the legislature to get the right to hunt on Sundays basically for the last 3 or 4 decades um 
and the folks that are trying to get the right to hunt on Sundays really feel like um, that there's landowner pressure. Um, this is one of those, look, look, I'm going to say my, and some, some of this, I don't want to cover it real in depth because we've got some great interviews coming up. From the outside looking in, this is really two groups, in my opinion, that neither are willing to come to a compromise, right? Like right. to go back to the property rights discussion, if, if you own 600 acres in Maine, which is not a, I happen to know a person that owns 600 acres and a person that owns 580 acres in Maine. So those are the numbers that I fall on, right? You can't hunt on your own ground on a Sunday. Right. You can do now the, the screwball part of Maine. I should say that the, the anomaly in Maine is you can hunt just about anywhere, even though 94% of the land in Maine is privately owned. Right. Um, but they have this, uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's like uh, reverse posting or like if it's not posted, you right. can hunt it. Right. You right. just walk onto it and hunt it. Um, even if, you know, even if Onyx is showing you that it's private ground, if it's not posted properly, you can hunt it. Um, and that's different right. than most states, right? Like most states, the hunter or the, the, the visitor has the responsibility to make sure that they're not trespassing. In Maine, the landowner really has the responsibility to notify you that you are trespassing. Um, and th so it, there's a lot more to it. I spent a long time in my life just thinking that the states with Sunday hunting bans were all about, you know, like the Puritans thinking you should be in church on Sundays, right? And that was the only factor driving the entire thing, which I still think that's probably where they came from. Um, but there's there's a little bit more to it. Um, and I can't help but think if those two groups would come together and at least say, look, if I have written permission and or I own the land, I can hunt. That seems very, very, very logical, easy to accomplish, um, and a compromise between the two that it feels to me like they could find a compromise. But what's your thoughts on it? Well, yeah, well, it's, you know, it goes back to, right, like private property rights and respect for private property rights, in my opinion, right? So, like, is the problem that people are hunting on Sunday, right? Or is the problem that, like, there's, you know, the law itself does not seem to respect the private, uh, the private property rights of individuals in the state, right? Like, you should have, in my opinion, and I think it's, you know, pretty much shared by a lot of people in other states, a, a certain amount of like, you know, um, expectation that people aren't going to just waltz onto your property, you know, um, or that you can stop them from doing so, right? Um, so, like, should the should the onus fall on property owners to notify people that they don't want them on their property, or should Maine just consider moving as a part of this, as as part of the legislative package, right? Moving to a like, you need permission to you know to hunt on someone else's land. Here's the here's the here's the glit like. I think I do agree with you and a hundred percent in any other state that I'm aware of their laws, I would agree with you. But 
gigantic chunks. Like the North Main Woods, if I'm not mistaken, is the largest uninhabited area in the lower 48. And it's also 100% privately owned. So the joy of this law, like if you went to permission required, a huge number of hunters, I mean like a large percentage of Maine's deer, bear, and moose hunters, would have to try and get permission from gigantic timber corporations to hunt the ground. Right. Like, that's the glitch in the system. Now, does that make it, that probably makes it, that puts the onus then on landowners, which is fine, and those timber companies are like, okay, let's let's treat it hunting-wise, snowmobile-wise, hiking-wise, fishing. Let's treat it outdoor recreation-wise, kind of like it's public ground they kind of do um weirdly that then puts the onus on the guy that has 40 acres 200 miles south of there in maine that the rules also apply to him the onus is on him to post so it's a right it, it's a weird conundrum it's very very interesting um i went into it um i i, I still think that the only real thing being accomplished is the guy that's working Monday through Friday, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, loses 50% of his hunting time. Yep. And and that's that's the thing that I can't get past, that there's got to be a compromise where that and another great big one for me is if I owned a couple hundred acres in Maine and I worked in town, I was an accountant that ran an office, you know, regular office hours, I'm losing 50% of my hunting time on my own ground. And those are like the two steps I can't get by. I can't just deal with. I would be on the side trying to figure out a way to allow more, more access. It's, um, it's time access because the land access in Maine is phenomenal, but the time access is less phenomenal. Well, even if you took baby steps, right, like things like bow hunting and stuff, you know, on land, landing you have permission of, that's what that's kind of the model in Jersey. We have Sunday hunting, but not, you know, but not all hunting, right? Um, so there's ways to mitigate it and take baby steps and kind of a reverse death by a thousand cuts, if you will, you know? Yeah, but the thing, um, the thing like, you can still snowmobile an ATV, <clears throat> On other people's ground, right? Mm -hmm. In Maine on Sundays, you just can't hunt or bow hunt. There's there, There's got to be a compromise there. It'll be interesting to me. I'm not a giant fan of things like this uh, going to the courts, um, but sometimes it's necessary, right? Like sometimes, sometimes, and that's, that's why that avenue is there. I don't know. I always, I always try to end it with, I don't live in Maine, so I really don't have a say in this damn thing because I do believe that the Maine. Well, that's the interesting part about the Maine thing, right? Is that they had that uh, survey um, where, so like part of, um, there's a, there's a piece of legislation um, calling for the survey that was signed by the governor. And then the governor, um, so then after the survey, so it looked like things were going to pass if the survey was pro, um, pro 
you know, or anti-band. Right. And then um, the vast majority of Maine residents were were pro Sunday hunting ban. Um, so, you know, if the majority of the people in the state, you know, say that, then like, you know, who are we to really kind of try to overrule them from outside the state? But the question becomes then in my mind, right? Um, yes, all residents of the state should have a should have a say in that, right? But like, it's almost I'd almost like to see a um, a subset of the data from that poll, right? That goes after property owner, just property owners in the state, just hunters in the state, and then like just property owners over fifty acres in the state, right? You know, yeah. Because I feel like the results wouldn't be as skewed, you know, like I feel like because this is the same problem we run into in Jersey, right? You know, where like, I don't think I think I think uh, I'm not gonna say I don't think I think some person in, you know, Bangor, Maine, right, who lives on a quarter acre, you know, stamp, right, of land, right? Yes, they're a property owner in Maine, pay taxes, all that stuff, right? So they should have a say in what they what their government does. But I think at the same time that that person should have as much say in maybe a little more, but not much more say in like hunting rules in the in the state of Maine as I should, honestly, right? Right. Because it's the same. So the same coalition of like very. Um, you know, very urban and suburban um, legislators in like districts that don't have a lot of hunting ground or access, right? And that historically haven't even had a lot of bears are the ones that like that have supported um, banning the bear hunt in New Jersey, right? And even the governor, he's like, you know, he lives down the shore, you know, on in a big giant gated community where he's never going to see a bear in the wild, right? And then all the legislators, and they're a huge minority, but like all the legislators that live in bear country are all pro bear hunt. And it's easy to see why. It's not because they're rednecks. It's because there's 3,500 bears in that little parcel stamp right. uh, in the north of New Jersey. And like, you know, so like these people, the, the urban rural divide, I think, is something that, um, that is coming to a head across the country because before there was just over time, we've seen a, a, a large split and it's happened before in our country where like everybody moved to the cities and then like people started mo- out migrating from the cities into the, what eventually became suburbs, right? Cause nobody went directly back to rural. Like, so if the way our country has moved has been from like a largely, you know, ag- agrarian society, right all into the cities and then instead of like you know the more even split that we've seen in the past right um we've seen a lot more people like taking up residence in cities and then therefore those cities from a geographical standpoint and the mindsets that are in them have a much much more weighted political power um in most states than you know you see this in oregon all the time Oregon, like if you look at it from a county map standpoint, is very red, right? But you see um, that, you know, that little spot of blue that's Portland um, has 60% of the population. So they sway 100% of the elections, you know? Um, So, and it's not a red-blue thing. It's just like a, you know, 
gun rights or like even like minimum wage issues and stuff like that. Um, hunting, you know, like, you know, wolf hunting bans in Oregon, all of that stuff is all driven by, you know, by this, you know, the, the very urban um, centers that are like almost imposing their will on a lot of rural areas. Here's a uh, convoluted theory that I've had for a long time. And I've, I've, I've worked on a way to put it succinctly. Someone, some other political mind has probably already done this, but I have a problem with popular opinion removing rights, right? Like there's got to be, and I have way more of a problem with it than popular opinion giving rights. And here's what I mean. If, if the survey was, if this, maybe this is really screwed up on my part. If the survey said, we support people's ability to go out and do this legal activities on, on Sunday but giving people more rights, I would take it more seriously than I take it. And I'm telling you that it's, I'm I'm this way with any right, whether it's a thing that I do or don't support, because I don't believe that popular opinion should be able to remove people's right to do a thing. Um, Especially in this case with Maine, because you as a private landowner, you can still post your ground. And if your ground's posted, then people can't hunt it at all, right? Then they to include Sundays. They can't post it, they can't hunt it, they can't snowmobile it, they can't ATV it, whatever. I, that's, does that make sense? Like it, with everything you've said about population centers gaining the ability to dominate rural areas in decisions like this, which we've seen it. I mean, if we, we've taught we've beat the Colorado wolf initiative into the ground and those maps are just amazing that all the counties that voted for the wolf reintroduction are on the opposite side of the damn state from where the wolves are going to be put right and I I agree with that I think that's a political problem that I'm not sure you know whether we're going to have to grind on for decades to come um, that population centers have a different set of ideals than rural areas, but they have way more people. So they win in statewide elections. Um, but well, it's, it's interesting because that's what our founding fathers tried to, um, tried to, uh, to, um, correct with the great compromise, right? That's why we have a bicameral legislature that allocates more house districts to, um, states that are like, you know, that have more population, right. Um, so that you have at least one, one, part of the legislature that is like more like, so we have the even votes in the Senate, right? And then we have more, more votes allocated on the house side to, to certain States. And they kind of assumed that like certain States would just kind of coalesce together from an ideal uh, ideology standpoint, um, just based on like, you know, like just kind of shared, like we're all in the same boat type of thing. Right. Um, what has evolved over time, though, is is kind of twofold. Number one, um, like I said, the population has like the 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 spread of the population has changed, where everybody has moved from from like largely rural areas to like um, to these huge metropolis population centers that are like very thick, right? Um, and frankly, um, 
things like um, that were supposed to help maintain that balance have been abused, like um, like uh, you know the re the, the the redistricting process right. is abused now. I mean, if you look at house districts across the country, I work in politics, so I can tell you that if you look at house districts across the country, they're just like idiotic shapes like in order to carve out like you know two zip codes in a city in order to pull in 15,000 you know um you know people of a certain political party in order to sway the district in one direction you know yeah it's uh it it's crazy i still truly believe it's the best process in the world like there isn't another but it it's a thing that uh we're going to have to continue to look at and monitor and those of us that uh those of us that like to get outdoors and hunt and maybe you know tend not not exclusively but tend to live in more rural areas um i think have got to find better ways to make our arguments right like you know i think that uh every part of it is the polarization thing too and here's what i mean by that I think so you take you take Colorado and you've got the bulk of the population in the Denver Boulder area. Um I'm going to pick on the people who were actually on my side in the wolf argument, all right? Like I don't think that wolves should be reintroduced manually to Colorado. I think that it will be incredibly exciting when the Yellowstone wolf reintroduction, which it already has started in 2017, actually has worked its way into Colorado and they naturally progress. And it's a slow and easy progression that humans can find balance for is moving through. I think if that argument had been presented in a good communications way in Denver, the Denver Boulder area, I think they would have won. But what prevailed was the we don't want wolves ever, we can't have them, it'll destroy the world, right? That that extremist side of the no wolf reintroduction is what people heard. And a lot of people are going, there's there's a lot of people in that middle group, right, that 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 want to hear the facts and the common sense. And when when the extremist sides are all that that are heard, um not always those people end up voting in a way that maybe they wouldn't really vote if they got logic and facts and kind of closer to the middle arguments i think i think that's something that i see is important with with what we do at blood origins that you know there's a group of people who who you know if you said do you think everybody should be out shooting wolves in Wyoming all the time? They're going to say no. But if you give them facts and say, hey, do we need to have a good wolf management plan in Wyoming that constitutes science and biology and tries to find a way to coexist, but also uses lethal means, I think you get a whole nother group of people that come over and say, okay, that sounds reasonable. That's what I mean. That's what I mean in Maine. I think there is a compromising middle ground that gives more people access, but also really protects those landowners in a way that they like. So, yeah. So let me challenge you on that um, assertion a little bit. And, you know, just because um, 
my day job, um, for, for those who don't know, is um, I'm a political advertiser on the digital side. So I, you know, work campaigns and stuff. I'm the person that makes all those, um, all those very ugly, disgusting attack ads um, that everybody sees every day. So, um, and I'm truly sorry for it, but I'm going to explain why it's, why it's common practice right now, right? Um, it is simply the fact that, well, no, it's not simple. So I'll, you know, I'll break it down, right? The number one reason, though, why is because um, those visceral, whether or not people bitch about them, and I do too, right? Because I hate seeing it all the time. Um, but there's a difference between complaining about something and taking action about something, right? So, like, if the public didn't respond to the ads, we wouldn't run them, period, right? And and on the on the flip side, if because a lot of people I see, and it's usually more educated people, but I think people need to understand that you know a lot of voters are just frankly uneducated, right? Um, so, like, if if people responded the way that we needed them to, right, to um, positive ads with like a, a large education component, I think that they would be a lot more, e a lot easier to use. It's the same thing with like newspapers. If people didn't click on the clickbait, that's very like clickbaity, like, you know, um, wolf hunting is dying in Colorado, you know what I mean? Or like something like that, right? Um, the newspapers wouldn't run those headlines. They'd run a straight the facts headlines, but people don't click that stuff. People don't take action on that stuff that doesn't move polls. Um, we're left with like, you know, the people that are trying to win the election because you're advocating for your ideal, right? Whether it's gun rights, whether it's animal rights, whether it's, you know, hunting rights, um, all those things are things that these people are advocating for um, because they believe in them. You're forced to kind of take whatever tactic is going to move the ball in your direction, right? Um, which a lot of the times takes the forms of these like ugly, like, you know, um, people don't want, like, people don't want to parse things out as much as they say they do, right? Um, polls aren't moved by, you know, in, at least in my experience, a lot of times, um, soft kind of advertising. Um, that's not to say that there's not a huge need for that stuff, which is why we need more organizations like Blood Origins that aren't like in the thick of a political campaign battle, but like are, and this is why I'm such a believer in the the group and why I joined kind of the Blood Origins family um, is because I believe that there needs to be a like devoid of politics. Like, let's just talk about the facts of the issue. Like almost like I, I, I almost envision Blood Origins more as a think tank than anything where right. like people get together, like, especially our podcast. It's more of a think tank, in my opinion, than a lot of the organizations that bear the name. Right. Because we literally sit down for, you know, three-ish hours a week, um, give or take runtime on an episode, um, and talk about the issues in depth. And Robbie is more generous than I would even advise him to be a lot of the times on bringing people who are blatantly anti-hunting onto the, onto the show. And, I mean, I can think of instances where I've even called him as the producer and asked him, hey, do you want me to cut this 45 seconds because, you know, this is like an anti-hunting bent or this is a, you know, against the grain. And he's like, no, leave, right. <laughs> leave it in the episode. We had that conversation for a reason. Don't cut it, you know. Um, so, like, I mean, and, and I can say, like, from behind the scenes as a producer, right, that, like, 
that you are getting the raw and unfiltered version of the episode. Like a lot of times what I'm cutting is like, like I'm, I'm just going to bomb on you really quick, Cody, like ums or like the likes that I'm saying right now in <laughs> 10 in a row, I'm cutting that stuff and like cutting, uh, you know, long breaths and stuff like that out of the episodes. But like, that's just to make it easier as a listener to listen along. I'm not cutting huge tracks of right. people quote unquote speaking because they don't want that out in the public and whatnot. I'm, I'm cutting things that are just making it cleaner for you guys to listen to. Like you're getting a raw and unfiltered conversation about whatever it is we're talking about. And that's, that's really the cool part of the podcast for me. Yeah. And I agree with you a hundred percent that, I mean, I've been a, I've been a, uh, not, not so much on the political side, but I've been a marketer for, for 25 years now. And the shock factor or the, the cater to the base factor or all of those things that end up a lot of times with content that people bitch about works. There's zero doubt about that. And if you need to sway a poll or you need to activate voters, um, it needs to be that hard-leaning stuff. And, and again, it, that's it's whichever side, right? It, both sides do the exact same thing in every argument. I truly feel like of all the bullshit that's come from the internet, to include my air conditioner kicking on with a vent right above me, um, that because of the internet, I can grab my phone and turn off real quick. Of all the bullshit that's come from the internet, I think it's taken time, but I think we're going to get back to where we can parse it. I think we're going to get back to where the folks like me, who ha I, I, my ethics and morals are pretty solid. I'm an old dude, but I do want to know the truth. I don't want to know what this party told me. I don't want to know what this leaning ass either way news agency told me. I want to find the truth. And that's more possible now than it's ever been for, for a guy like me sitting on a hill in Colorado, right? To actually go out and not just have to listen to a talking head. Um, because like you said, the days of the days of Pulitzer and Walter Cronkite actually trying to just give us the truth or over. Um, and, and like you said, that's also our fault because we, we decided that we got more interested in incredibly dramatic things. Like we'll try to make the most mundane and boring thing dramatic on a news agency so that the ads get viewed. I, I really do feel like that the world is slowly, and I, I also have this theory that Americans are so impatient, right? When, when it, if, if you would have told, if you would have got, if you'd go back to the 1700s and tell anyone in the world that in just 200 years, the, the, the most powerful country in the world is going to have a black leader. They, they would be blown away. Like that stuff actually kind of happened fast, right? But we're, right. we're so impatient. And I think that, you know, the internet is is three decades old for, I mean, not even for public access. It's not even three decades old. 
And I truly believe that the internet will allow people to get around being told what to think. The, the, the people that want it, the people that want that to happen. Um, I, that's, I, I love it about it. I see a news article, um, and whether it's from MSNBC or from Fox, if I'm interested in it, I then go look. And, and there's more information. There's, there's more information where you can use your brain and put those things together. Um, I, that's not a disagreement with, with your counter to my statement. It's just saying, I think we are working our way that way where more and more truth will be known. Um, and as long as the masses are getting the truth, a democracy is a really powerful, powerful thing. Um, and so that was, I got really freaking deep into politics right there. When, when that applies to, when, when that applies to hunting, I think that intelligent hunters speaking the truth are what has led to this whole, there is a whole bunch of people that don't look like the hunters of the 1980s hunting right now, mm-hmm. whether it's skin color or their hair's dyed blue or they're hunting in Birkenstocks or, you know, just look very non-traditional. And that's good for hunting. I know, you know, Matt Ranella doesn't agree with me, but it's it's good for hunting. It's good for the objective that I want my great-grandchildren, if they want, to be able to go out and shoot something and eat it in a legal, scientifically managed way. Um and I, I think that's because of the internet. I think because in the 1980s, you were just watching kill shots on DVDs, basically, um, until this ability to transfer information gave groups. And there was some good ones. Don't get me wrong. The Primos boys made some great videos that made people want to hunt. Um, but you still had to go out and buy a hunting DVD to ever get exposed to that stuff. Or at that time, a VHS tape. So I, I, I have this, uh, America has its problems, but I have this undying, this undying loyalty that I think, uh, as more information is available, people will make better choices. Um, and I think people having the ability to hunt in Maine, people knowing that hunters are the best problem to the bear conflicts in New Jersey, you know, um, I think the right thing will end up happening with the wolves in Colorado. It's just going to be a bumpy ass road getting there over what's maybe the next couple decades. You know, I, I, I tend to think that as we have more access to information, we're going to do more things right. Oh yeah. I mean, and part of the problem though is like the other half of that problem, as I see it is access to information, right? Um, yes, you can find anything on the internet, but much like having to buy a VHS, you know, you all, you still have to invest the time to find it, right? Which is not always easy because a lot of a lot of the ways that we search have been increasingly monetized. I see this from a digital marketing standpoint, where like paid content from even from a search standpoint is prioritized much more heavily, you know, just because of the way algorithms are written and stuff. That said, though, um, you know, like. Uh, you know, what's the old adage? If the um, 
uh, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth even gets its shoes on, right? Um, that's what we see a lot in politics because, um, unfortunately, truth is not, you know, what moves, um, you know, needles or even moves the message, right? Like you can have the greatest message in the world, but if it's not getting in front of people, um, that's, you know, it's not going to go anywhere, right? Um, so, you know, what I would encourage a lot of people to do is, um, is twofold. Number one, um, is, you know, just watch not just your political donations, but almost in the same capacity, um, think about whether you're giving to, you know, kind of non, non-political, non-profit groups that help educate people, right? Like your, your C4 designations are groups that are there to educate people, not, you know, not sway people in any one direction or, or whatnot. They're supposed um, to be. And degrees. They're supposed to Say what? Your C4s are supposed yeah. to be. <laughs> supposed to be. Um, in, a, in a perfect world, they would, right? But like, it's still a better, better bet than giving to PACs and a lot of, and, a lot, and I'm saying that is like, if you, if everybody stopped giving to PACs tomorrow, I'd be out of a job and have to be looking for a new, like, full-time gig, you know? Well, yeah, and I don't want that for you, but I do think that's a phenomenal, you know, give to groups that are educating over groups that are vying for votes is a phenomenal piece of advice. If you actually want to see this, I mean, if, if, the if, 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 if I had a magic wand and I could just tomorrow reduce the power of the RNC and the DNC by a thousand percent, the world would be a better place because we would start getting more truths, right? Um, and their ability to affect mainstream media and, and their ability to run ads on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all over the world and on every website you're on. Um, yeah, give give the money to education and educate yourselves. Um, and I really do like. I agree, man. You're, you're right that the that lies travel faster, and that's and the internet sped that up. Um, but I think I see more and more people wanting to know what actually is going on. I think I see more and more people being less just straight loyal to an R or a D. And that's a good thing. That's a good. Well, I think Blood Origins is a good is a good test case of that, and our listenership numbers, which you and I see every day, um, are a, are a big testament to that. You know, um, and we try. Like, we, 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 we 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 try to have everyone right. Like we have some some very wealthy old white dude hunters, and then mm-hmm. we have every other. You know that 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 traditional whatever all the way we 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 don't really work at it the cool thing is they reach out to us right like we do very very little um i don't i i do a lot of the scheduling for the podcast and i don't work very hard at it because people reach Mm -hmm. out to us and they're we we don't care in any way shape hell we don't even care if they're pro or anti-hunting if they want to talk let's talk and get it out on the table um, and we take grief over it too, right? I mean, we get people that tell us we're promoting the anti-hunting and you know, you're dead wrong. We're not, we're just letting people know that, that we'll come to the table and talk and we'll come to the table and we'll show you why we feel the way we do 
while we can do that while at the same time listening to your thoughts on the subject as well. So it's well, and Robbie can do that better than anyone because um, he's got better credentials than even a lot of the talking right. that come on to the right. podcast, you know, right. Um, Dedicated his life. Like it's almost unfair. Yeah. Yeah. And he's good at it. He's really, really good at it and intelligent on that side and has dedicated his life to, to saving animals, you know, and it was a lot of schooling in his, in his regular day job. But, uh, well, and Robbie, just so you know, I'm not sucking up to you uh, when you listen to this. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow, man. We, we, we went over Robbie B. Pitt. We're at an hour six. Robbie likes to shut it down right at an hour, but that's what he gets. For, that's what he gets for leaving us on our own, man. What else you got? You got any closing yep. thoughts? Wrap it up. No, I think uh, I think we've covered everything. You know, just uh, when you um, just think about that, though. What I said from a listener standpoint, too. Um, to you know, like if you're going to give money, give to it. Give to a pack on a specific instance, right? Like this Oregon IP thirteen thing. Give to the pack against that, right? right. But overall, you know, um, you know, think about as hunters, you know, um, we should be educating people about why hunting is great and why it should be cool. And frankly, we should be making it cool again. Which I think, as much as I disagree with, um, with you know, certain aspects of um, of organizations like Mediator, Stephen Ranella has done a great job of making hunting cool again you know yeah I, I couldn't agree more man and i i see all of the things that people attack meat eater for but why don't we just judge their final actions like like the things that they do and the things that they say um and that guy as uh you know i i see all the critiques of joe rogan as a hunter but Joe Rogan has given us longevity with the people that he has not only brought in to be hunters, but just respect the concept, whether they hunt or not, you know? Um, and yes, you know, he goes on big fancy guided elk hunts and all that, that, you know, I, I see all their critiques of those two organizations. Um, and some of them I don't like, right? Like some of them I don't, I don't like personally, but I agree with the critiques on some of them. But yeah, it's uh, I think there's good things happening, man. Like I entered this with a positive aspect, and it doesn't mean that I'm not willing to to dig a foxhole and fight because I will for things that that matter to me um, and have before. But there's a lot of good things happening in the world. Yep. All right, man. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.